Zito from seventh to first in the final event. You are a champion. And Oleksiak has done it! The girl from the six has got six Olympic medals. The substitute for Canada just about gets it through. It's a glory gold for Canada. Kathy Lifting goes up to Graham, takes the lead, looks a winner, draws away from Graham and Mary. This is a famous victory, a magnificent performance. It is Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for a massive interview. One of the biggest we've had on this show was a true icon of not only the Olympics, but the sport of volleyball. Karch Karai, Team USA volleyball player, voted by the International Volleyball Federation as the greatest volleyball player of the 20th century. Triple Olympic gold medalist, two in indoor, in 1984 and 1988. One in beach with his partner Kent Steffies in Atlanta. The only player in the history of the Olympics to have won medals in both indoor and beach volleyball. An incredible feat. And on top of that, as a coach, assistant coach of Team USA Women in London, silver medal. Head coach, Team USA Women in Rio, bronze. Head coach, Team USA Women, Tokyo, gold the very first Olympic gold medal by the USA women's team in indoor volleyball. So Karch has been involved in both breakthrough gold medals for USA volleyball, for the men's in 1984 as a player and for the women's in 2020 as a coach. You think volleyball, you think Karch Karai. And this is an amazing chat with Karch. He talks about his Olympic dreams as a kid, how he used those towards making Team USA men a dominant force in the 80s, how big of a deal that breakthrough was in Tokyo for the women's team and what he hopes that will bring moving forward as well. Whether or not we're going to see him as a coach in Paris and LA and Brisbane and beyond, or maybe returning to the court as a player in a new sport, sort of. There's a version of volleyball that potentially could be at the Winter Olympics. Now, I had never heard of this until Karch brings it up in this interview, and it's amazing to hear and something that I think would be very exciting to have at the Winter Olympics. This is an amazing chat. You're going to love every single second of it. Here is our chat with triple Olympic gold medal volleyball player from the USA, Karch Karai. can say that we've got the goat of a sport on our show but today we can definitely say that he was named by the international volleyball federation as the best volleyball player of the 20th century the only athlete to ever win medals in both beach and indoor volleyball at the olympics and gold if you don't mind three olympic gold medals and as a coach at the tokyo olympics led team usa women to their very first ever olympic gold medal in indoor volleyball this man has done it all and it is such an honor to be able to welcome to off the podium the one the only Karch Karai. Karch first of all it's a pleasure to have you on the show today thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for uh, for having me excited to visit with you and um, one of you mentioned the Olympics uh, I did not compete in 2000 in Sydney but you all put on a fabulous Olympics it was probably one of the best experiences I've ever had I was there to do some some television and sponsor work and uh, hopefully it'll get back to Sydney or somewhere in Australia sometime in the not so distant future. 
Well, we've got it in Brisbane, of course, in 10 years, Karch. I was going to say, does that whet your appetite then to just stay on board with the national team for another 10 or so years? I mean, uh, <laughs> not sure, like, is it going to be as a pundit, but as a coach, you know, that, that, that can entice you a bit more there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll take it one Olympic cycle at a time. <laughs> of course, we, we recently uh, had on the show uh, Sean Murray to talk about his book, If Gold Is Our Destiny. We had, of course, your coach, Doug Bill from 1984 on as well, and I've got to say, I, I absolutely loved that book. As I said in that interview, I was very unfamiliar with the fact that Team USA at that point had never even won a gold in indoor volleyball. As an Australian, I assume that America's good at everything and has been good at everything forever, but obviously not quite the case. Since that book has come out, I mean, to relive those memories for you and, and everything else and to have that story told, I mean, is it sort of a good time for you to be able to remember those days when you first sort of uh, got your first Olympic taste back in 1984? Uh, first of all, uh, big props to Sean. He did a wonderful job at telling that story, honoring his father, who played certainly uh, a role in our process. And so um, brought back lots of good memories. And uh, I know it came out, I guess it was in the last month or two, but months and months earlier, uh, I had he had let me know that he was working on this project. And not only me, but a number of principals who, uh, like Doug Beale, like our eventual captain, Chris Marlowe, and others, uh, other parts, uh, other critical elements in our team. And so we all agreed to read his draft. Um, you know, Sean, unlike some big selling authors who have their own research departments, Sean was his own research department. So he uh, was really smart to ask for some help. And, and uh, between us, our collective memories, I think we helped him get uh, the, the details as right as we could. And so it was really fun to read that through, send him some notes that I had on the things that I remembered maybe differently. And like I said, he just honored the, the process and his dad, and it was great. Because you'd mentioned in the forward of that book that you'd wish you'd sort of kept a journal through that time and sort of hadn't really kept a lot of that. So, I mean, obviously, as you're mentioning, to now have this documented piece of history, which, as we said in that interview with, with Sean and Doug, I mean, such an amazing story that really has Hollywood written all over it, I feel, guys. Like, I mean, you know, you talk about the miracle on ice for uh, Team USA in hockey, but, I mean, this in itself is like the, the miracle on the court. Like, this should be its own movie. You know, um, and it might even have been closer to that, except that in 1984, and this is one reason I decided to play another four years, there was a boycott and the Soviet Union, the other great team in the world, did not attend the Los Angeles Games after the USA boycotted their Moscow Olympics. So it would have been an even better story and a more equivalent version of the miracle on ice uh, from uh, 1980, uh, if we had been able to compete against the Soviet Union, and we didn't, we were not able to, and so four years later, we got to face them in that gold medal match in Seoul, Korea. But still, I think the big part of the the the, the big headline of the story you already mentioned. We had never done anything of any consequence in volleyball uh, at the Olympic level, the USA men. For that matter, the USA women 
had not either, even though they were definitely on the world stage and probably fourth or fifth in the world in 1980 uh, when that boycott happened. So that really affected, they had a medal chance. We did not, we did not even qualify for that Olympics. So we had to come from 19th or 20th in the world. Sean pointed out some teams that our USA men lost to in the mid seventies. Uh, that we should never lose to, and we were we were uh, really floundering. And uh, thanks to Doug Beal, thanks to Bill Neville, and lots of other people, we took a team that was at the bottom of the pile and clawed our way up, and eventually won uh, one gold medal. So uh, Sean did a really nice job telling that story and that transformation of a ragtag group that was not very good, failed to qualify multiple Olympics and eventually became the best team in the world. Had you, when you started playing volleyball as a kid, I know a lot of it was beach volleyball, but had you grown up with an idea that an Olympics was a possibility? Obviously beach volleyball, not an Olympic sport when you were growing up, but had you thought about the Olympics and transitioning into indoor much throughout your younger, younger career? Um, yeah, uh, the, uh, indoor volleyball was a part I would, when, as I grew up, I played a lot of beach volleyball, but also a lot of indoor volleyball, especially when I got to the age of 14 and beyond playing in secondary school, we call it high school here. Um, so I was enamored, uh, smitten with both sides of the sport. We didn't have internet and YouTube and all those things. So I never got to see the international teams, play live or motion pictures but i got to see still photos and every month our my friends and i would ogle over our copy of volleyball monthly they'd have great shots from the world championships and the olympics and so in 1976 i was 15 years old and i stayed it was you know beautiful summertime in southern california and I stayed at home. Normally, I would have been at the beach playing a lot, but I stayed as home uh, home as often as I could, looking for volleyball, waiting for indoor volleyball, waiting for it to come on over 17 days. I think uh, I almost missed it if I had just sneezed or gone to the bathroom because they only had it on for about three minutes. It was an epic match. Poland won that match. It was the first five-set match ever in Olympic gold medal match history. Uh, but they only showed a couple of minutes of it. And so that's when it really hit me uh, at 15 years old. The U.S. was not in that games. And if they were, they needed to be good for people to get to watch it back home because there are so many great athletes in so many sports, both uh, female and male, but just the, the wide range of sports that people have, Americans have success in. We had to get good for people to see what great international caliber elite caliber volleyball was all about most americans had never seen it until it came on television in 1984 and it came on because we were contending and so that was our goal is to try to contend we went into that first olympics with uh, a goal of winning one, uh, some kind of medal the first so the women won the silver one night the men won the gold the next and those were the first two olympic medals for america in the sport of volleyball and you've been on that journey, obviously, from that very get-go of being part of the men's team history in 1984, and then obviously what happened in Tokyo, coaching them to that historic gold. So I can't imagine you can probably put into words the growth that you saw in the sport from those days of trying to find a bit of footage from the 76 Olympics right through to Tokyo, where you know you stamp your legacy with that gold. I mean, did it surprise you that it took maybe that 
long for it to kind of come that way for the women's team, given what you saw in 84? Or was it kind of a process that you felt it was going to happen eventually and it just took to 2021 basically to get it done? You know, the USA women got really good earlier than the men. Uh, They got really good in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, And so what they didn't do, uh, the USA women have, uh, before this last Olympics, the USA women medaled in five out of 11 Olympics that they competed in. So that's almost 50% of the time. So Uh, And fourth a couple of times. So right there, contending fiercely for medals. What the USA women didn't do was reach the top of the mountain. And that's a really arduous process. It involves a lot of suffering. When you imagine climbing Mount Everest every four years, your goal is to make the top. And every four years, you get within 100 yards of the top, but you don't actually reach the summit. That's kind of what the women went through. They were close and they were close and they were close. There was a boycott that also hurt a chance, as I mentioned, in 1980. And finally, on the 13th try, uh, getting back to the first time, the birthplace of Olympic volleyball, back to Tokyo for the first time since 1964, a very appropriate time for the USA women finally to reach the top. The USA men had done it three times. I got to compete on two of those teams, and then the men also did it in 2008 with a gold. And in that 2008 Beijing Olympics, the USA women were also really good, but won a silver, came away again, just a few feet short of the summit. So it it just happened faster for the men. As soon as we got good, we won gold in 84. The women were good for a very long time. Uh, One of the the great teams in the world, but just kept falling a little short. And so we knew if we kept hurling ourselves at that door, eventually we'd break it down. We didn't know. I know I knew it would happen sometime. I just didn't know when, whether it would be in Tokyo or we were awfully close in Rio also. Uh, But eventually we the, the women broke through. And so hopefully that's the first of more to come. Can you compare it being a player on a team that has a breakthrough for the men versus a coach for the women? Uh, I I mean, I'm sure you've been asked it a lot, Karch, in terms of does one feel better than the other? I mean, can you compare both history-making gold medal wins that you've been involved with? Um, That's a, yeah, good good question, tough to answer. I think um, as a coach, we have less impact on the outcome because we're not on the court, the players, and we want it that way. We want the players to be making the real-time decisions and basically taking over a lot of the heavy lifting and the steering wheel. Uh, They will guide that process, and we facilitate that and help them along. But I think uh, helping uh, and coaching for the women as they won in Tokyo was probably more impactful in many ways than winning those three as a player. And a lot, and most of it was just the suffering that I just covered. The fact that the women had been so close so many times, but fallen short 12 previous times over almost 60 years. And with all of that suffering, and of course that's not life and death suffering. That's not the suffering of losing a loved one. Uh, who passes away or the suffering of uh, there's just so much suffering ar- around the world, whether it's poverty or uh, 
parents, I'm a parent, even just something as simple, but um, incredibly painful as a parent losing a child. Uh, those things are much more, I would, uh, uh, I would never put the suffering of the USA Women's Program in the same category, but it was a kind of suffering. And it went over, like I said, almost 60 years. So when the dam broke and we went, when the team broke through, it was incredibly powerful for me. It just uh, a, a, an ocean of emotion that, that waved over me. An ocean of emotion. That's the best way to describe anything on this show I've ever heard before, Karch. I like that. That, that <laughs> works a treat when it, when it comes to that. With, with your playing career, the, the switch to beach volleyball, you retired around 92, switched to beach volleyball. At that point, was it known that beach volleyball was an Olympic sport and was that your goal to kind of focus towards an Olympics or did that just sort of come about after you switched permanently to beach volleyball? No, actually... Um... And I had grown up playing beach volleyball, so it was very familiar to me. I had played at a high level, many, many tournaments already. But when I retired from indoor volleyball, retired from the USA team about 1989 and from indoor volleyball altogether around 92, uh, I decided to get back. I wanted to get back to my roots and give beach my full attention. And at that time, uh, beach volleyball was not an Olympic sport. They did have a little demonstration event at the 1992 Barcelona Olympics, um, but it had nothing to do with the official program of the Olympics. But a lot of people worked really hard. The uh, the president of the FIVB and plenty of uh, American players, people like Sinjin Smith, who worked really hard to try to add uh, beach volleyball to the Atlanta Olympic program, the American Olympics in Atlanta. And because the host has choices like that um, and has uh, some of those choices that the host makes as almost like a test sport or a demonstration, a temporary addition can become permanent. And it was so popular first in Atlanta and then it's in Sydney yeah. uh, at Beach Volleyball Olympics number two. It became academic at that point. Of course, beach volleyball must go on as a permanent member of the Olympic program at every summer summer Olympics. And so it's always a huge hit there. It's always a tough ticket to get. And uh, and so it's, uh, so when I got back to concentrating on beach volleyball, it was not an Olympic sport. But a couple of years later, it became apparent that it was was going to be added in 96 in Atlanta. It is one of those sports now that we think about it. You didn't, you don't think about it without the Olympics. You know, it's kind of there, and it's as you said, it's been so successful. But for you, I mean, how was that then when it became an Olympic sport, and you kind of all of a sudden went, "Shit, I could go to a third Olympics here. This, this is all right. Like, you know, a bit of a bonus here." <laughs> That's pretty much what I was saying in my head. Whoa, I thought my Olympic career was done. Huh? All right, yeah, that might be fun to to try it on. And be a part of, of course, no, none of us knew because it had never happened before, to, but to be able to be a part of the first ever event uh, in a particular discipline or a particular sport was uh, an honor and a privilege. It was great to get with, to play with my partner, uh, one of the all-time greats in beach volleyball, Kent Steffes, and we were really proud um, of being able to have an all-American final, our great friends Mike Dodd and Mike Whitmarsh on the other side of the net. It was almost, we couldn't figure out a way to have it be a tie and everybody <laughs> get a gold medal. 
And it was kind of sad that somebody had to win, but we were just so proud of representing American beach volleyball as well as we could in that first ever beach volleyball Olympics. And it was a, a great thrill to play in Atlanta, challenging conditions too, very hot and humid. Which, uh, I mean, they did in the high jump in Tokyo, so you could have worked a tie if they, you know, how they did that. But, I mean, you obviously have that unique distinction then too of the fact that you won two of your gold medals on home soil, which uh, obviously not a lot of uh, athletes get that opportunity to do. So, I mean, I'm guessing you're from California, LA, maybe a little bit different to, to Atlanta, but I mean, still, like to have that distinction that two of your playing gold medals, uh, I'm just saying right now, I'm sure people keep talking to you about, you know, what's in the future, but LA 2028, coach i mean it's sort of it's a nice bookend to your careers to get a third gold medal on home soil potentially coach <laughs> oh boy uh <laughs> right now that's way that's a uh, not even on my mind what we're uh as we are here on a thursday in california friday in australia uh we are prepping for the women's world indoor volleyball world championships the men, the men's event is going on right now. They just today they played, they finalized the uh, the four teams who will be playing in the semifinals on the men's side. We were cheering our American men on. They lost a, a heartbreaker to Poland a few hours ago uh, in the fifth set. And so we're enjoying the world championships and preparing for the women's side, which will be held in Netherlands and Poland from uh, September 23rd, right on through about October 15th. So that's the big thing on our mind right now as we're training. Uh, and also in the back of our minds, of course, is the Paris Olympics only is now well under two years away. Um, much beyond that, far beyond my radar is LA in 2028. But yeah, at some point it will loom and, and become more visible. I, I put it to Doug when we had him on the show about this idea, Karch, and please uh, get on board with this if you want to. Uh, obviously, Salt Lake 2002, they got the Miracle on Ice team to light the cauldron. It was a great moment there in, in Salt Lake, you know, inspirational Team USA. I'm saying 2028 LA, revisiting that iconic volleyball gold from 84, get the members of the 84 team to come together and light the cauldron there at the LA 28 Olympics. That'd be really fun. Um the the fact is the USA has so many great athletes in so many sports um, that, you know, there are a, a zillion gold medalists from that same home Olympics. And with the boycott, the U.S. had an mm. unusually high level of success. So um, uh, swimming, track and field, you name it, there were there, there would be a ton of candidates. You know, you mentioned the 2002 Winter Olympics, and I wasn't sure if you were going to go there, but actually there is a movement, an attempt by the International Volleyball Federation to try to become the first sport to have disciplines in both Summer Olympics and Winter Olympics. And that's the snow volleyball version, three oh, on wow. three, that they actually have a tour that is happening in Europe. And they're trying to build that. It is slowly building. People wear kind of wetsuits and and uh, uh, almost like booties you would wear in really cold water if you were a surfer to play on the snow. But it's some of the most picturesque backdrops because they're in the Alps playing 
yeah. playing snow volleyball. I guess it would be like beach volleyball, but on snow. Some of the snow gets pretty hard packed and it even gets icy. But anyway, there is a movement to try to now have a uh, two disciplines of volleyball in the Summer Olympics, and then a third discipline, snow volleyball, three on three in the Winter Olympics. Never yeah. heard of that before. That's insane. Yeah, you'll have well, to track it down. You can find some information on the International uh, Volleyball Federation website, but most of the tour happens. And again, tour, it's not nearly as big as the beach volleyball, uh, you know, not even in the same universe as the beach volleyball uh, world tour or all that goes on indoors, but there's some momentum building there. Well, there you go. I would definitely on board for that. That would be incredible. And yeah, Salt Lake potentially 2030, 2034 have another Olympics. So uh, there you go. You could come out of retirement and play three <laughs> Olympic gold in three different versions of, of volleyball. There can't be 10 years. You'll still be able to play in 10 years. Come on. <laughs> I can oh, see it. <laughs> Which I've got to no ask. We, we love finding out from our medalists on the show uh, the simple question of what you do with, with your medals. I mean, you've obviously got three as a player. Sadly, you don't get one as a coach which i'm calling bullshit coaches should get a gold medal but that's another debate for another day uh what do you do with your medals do you have them on display are they in a museum somewhere kind of like what do you do with them um they are tucked away in a safe uh just locked away i don't look at them a lot um uh, one reason I don't, we, I don't, you probably didn't hear, but one of the uh, great players, I, I love this group of women that I get to work with coaching the USA women's team and one of our 12 gold medalists uh, several months ago um, had gone to make an appearance and had her gold medal with her. So she ran home for a few minutes and left the medal in her car, like in the console between the, the two seats in the front seat. And she unfortunately was in too much of a rush or too careless and left the car unlocked and her garage door open and it got stolen. Uh, the good news is about six weeks later, it ended up getting recovered. Somebody was cleaning trash behind their small business. We are in Anaheim, California, right near Disneyland. But anyway, somebody was just cleaning up trash and a bag felt a little heavy and they wondered what was inside of it. And there was an Olympic gold medal. So our player and her gold medal have been reunited, but that was more reason for me to basically just kind of keep those <laughs> keep them in the tucked, away, tucked away. Yes. Um, and, and actually one of our staff had a great idea. You can buy replicas yeah. and, um, and they're actually quite good ones for yeah. the price. I think they were like $40. So it was really cool because as you mentioned, no staff, no coaches get, uh, an Olympic medal, only players. I'm not complaining about that. That's just the way it is, probably the right thing to do. But it was great for all of our coaches and staff to come away with a memento. I already was able to play and win those, but for everybody to come back with, come away with a very good facsimile for a reasonable price was was great. So that was one thing we did for staff and coaches to help them uh, have a, a a very tangible memento of our accomplishment from a year ago. 
I, I just want to say this, Karch, that I, I'm aware of those uh, replicas exist because I want to announce I'm about a 20-time Olympic gold medalist based on all the replica medals I've bought over there the years. Go. Because you got quite a collection. <laughs> they do, winter and summer. I'm very impressed with my uh, very esteemed career. I've just got to work out what sports <laughs> that I've apparently done very well in. Karch, what do you do been... with all your replica medals? Do you put them in up a safe as well. I mean, of course. I don't want people, you know, ending up in a trash bag behind some business exactly. in Anaheim. So you never you got know. to mount them, put them on the wall. <laughs> Exactly. Impress people as they come over. Oh, just a couple of gold medals I won back in my athletics days. You don't need to know about that. Uh, Kat, it has been such an honour to be able to chat with you today, uh, learn more about your career and everything else. Obviously, we'll be uh, cheering on Team USA moving forward when it comes to the women's program in, in Paris and the World Championships, of course, at the time of recording this. If, if people want to follow your journey, are you on social media or anything like that? People can follow you or at least the women's team that people can stay up to date with? Um, I am not active on social media. Um, obviously there are some pluses to it, but also some, some real, uh, disadvantages to it too. So I end up, uh, not investing any of my time in that. Certainly a lot of our players are active in that and they could, uh, people could find more about our team through our federation, like our at USA volleyball, um, uh, handle, I guess you would call it, either on Instagram or Twitter and others. And then there's uh, uh, another uh, several sub channels there, including one for the women's team, one for the beach side, uh, as they're competing right now in Brazil, I think. And so, yeah, you can find more there. You could also go to usavolleyball.org, and that's our official uh, federation website where they have lots of information about all the goings and comings, both at our senior level, but also uh, we have a very extensive national team development program and TDP and age group things that work up through that we play parts in. And so it's really exciting to see. And I remember I told you about being a 15 year old and aspiring to try to have an impact on American uh, volleyball as it related to the Olympics. And so now it's uh, awesome that uh, many of our players, both women and men um, uh, share some of their time and, and some of their thoughts and inspiration for the young, for the next generation. So a lot of that can be found there. Perfect. Well, people can check that out. Karch, mate, absolute honor to have you on here. And uh, thank you very much for joining us on Off the Podium today. Thanks so much, Ben. Good luck to you. And hopefully I'll uh, get down there sometime and see you in person. Absolute massive pleasure to have Karch on the show. We obviously thank him so much for his time there. If you enjoyed that chat and want to see the video version of that, of course, YouTube hit us up on there as well. But fascinating insight into some of his successes along the years as well as just what's to come maybe with the women's team now that they've broken through for that gold medal. The dam is open, basically, as he said there. And, of course, winter Beach volleyball, winter snow volleyball. It's not even beach volleyball. Volleyball on the snow. Something that I've never thought about. But if that's an Olympic sport, I'm on board. Because we really don't have a winter and summer sport that are the same, but just in different versions, do we? So that is a very exciting prospect there to see if that could happen in the future. Of course, we've got a brand new sport happening in Milan, ski mountaineering, which we're very excited for. But we're always down for new sports at the Olympics. And obviously, it's a little bit rare at the Winter Olympics that we get new sports versus the Summer Olympics. 
but uh, we're definitely down for snow volleyball. So watch this space when it comes to that. But a massive thanks to Karch for his time. Obviously, the time of recording that was uh, a little while ago, hence the sort of mentions of uh, world championships and everything along those lines that were taking place in 2022 and given that we are now basically a year away from Paris at the time of this being released but uh, obviously uh, Karch a legend of volleyball and such an honor to be able to speak with him and bring him your voice or his voice here on Off the Podium so thanks for listening and thanks for Karch for tuning in plenty to come along the way though for more great Off the Podium episodes and interviews next week we're continuing on the trend of medalists on this show. You know we get pumped and excited for Olympic medalists. Next week, we are going to the sport of skeleton and we are speaking to an Australian medalist in the sport of skeleton, Jackie Narricott. I don't usually tease and spoil who it is. I usually just give you a bit of a taste of what to look forward to, but I'm so excited to have Jackie on this show. If you remember back to our Beijing coverage last year, how pumped Jared and myself were for the fact that Australia won a medal in a sliding sport. We got a freaking medal in a sliding sport. What a breakthrough this was. And we are so pumped and excited to learn a little bit more about that experience and her career in the sport of skeleton in general. Jackie Narricott next week. You'll be pumped and excited for that as we always get pumped and excited for all our guests, but a little bit of extra spice there with Jackie, an Olympic silver medalist in skeleton. And after that, one that I'm also extremely pumped for, as always, you know I get excited for brand new sports on this show when we've got an athlete from a sport we've never spoken to. And one of my favorite sports at the Olympics, I'd put it, top three, top five sports when it comes to Ben Waterworth's favourites is the sport of handball. And we have never had a handball athlete on this show. That is going to change in just a couple of episodes time because we are going to have a member of either Team Australia or Team Canada. I'm not going to spoil it for you. A member of one of Team Australia or Team Canada, one of their current players. We're going to learn about their experience in the sport of handball, as well as the sport of handball in general, because I'm sure you probably don't know a whole lot about it outside of watching the Olympics. We're going to learn about their experiences, what the sport is, how you play it, everything else, all those amazing things that we do whenever we get an athlete from a sport we've never covered on the show before. It's amazing, and I'm so pumped and excited that we can cross that off, because handball, seriously, if you, if you don't watch it, you should be watching it, and this interview will definitely want to make you watch it more. Also, coming up over the course of the coming weeks and months, we've got some more great random episodes in which myself, Colin, and Jared will come back together, and of course, a little later this year, as we've teased a few times, a few months away, but we'll get there close and closer will be our looking ahead to Paris 2024 episode generally about a year or so out from each Olympics we like to come together and chat about where we're at how pumped and excited we are for the Olympics obviously we were sport for choice in the last couple of years with a couple of Olympics very close to each other now we're in a bit of a drought we're, we're longing for an Olympics really we've got a youth Olympics of course next year as well as the Paris Olympics so uh, we'll be coming together for that one as well to chat all things with that, so I'm sure you'll be stay tuned for those in between all of our great interviews, of course, that we will be bringing you along the way. As always, we love hearing what you think of the show. Social media, we are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Hit us up. Let us know what you think. Give us an idea for a guest you want on the show or a potential future episode idea along the lines and all the podcast channels as well to subscribe to never miss an episode. Search for Off The Podium. Share us on your platforms as well so other people can get involved in the show and leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you and your friends think of the show. So uh, that's simple instructions that we always bring you at the end of these episodes. Massive thanks again to Karch 
for his time. And also a special shout out to Sean Murray for uh, hooking us up there to enable that interview to happen uh, as well. And buy Sean's book. If you haven't already, I'm sure you have. It's been out for uh, quite some time now. But if gold is our destiny, if you want to learn more, of course, about the 1984 men's team that won that breakthrough gold in Los Angeles, buy it and go back about a year or so ago when we had Sean on with Doug Bill, the coach of that team in 1984. It was a great chat, learning a little bit more about that breakthrough gold as well. My name is Ben. This has been Off the Podium. Shout out to the Birmingham Bull. Remember to go left and fizzle, dizzle.